The Bible verse comes from 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 16. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. I love this time of early spring and I love watching our garden just burst into life. One of our other joys is watching some of our native birds uh, raising their young. We have a, a couple of magpies and they rule our territory and they have done so for many years. And each year they produce one or two offspring uh, which they come and show us. And I love watching the way that the young magpies learn how to feed themselves and have to do so pretty quickly. Uh, they just follow mum and dad around and as mum and dad dig into the ground and dig up grubs, uh, the young birds learn to do the same as well. They watch and they do. They learn by imitation. Now, we're not magpies, but the truth is that much of what we have learned is through imitation, through imitating someone else. Now, this starts in the very first year of our lives and we've been imitating our parents and others ever since. Ever wonder why you sound like your parents when you talk? Have you ever worked out that some of their facial expressions and their hand gestures look remarkably similar to yours? It's because we imitate. Imitation is an important part of learning. We learn far more from watching and doing than we do from listening. It's how we learn to drive. It's how we learn and how we sharpen our skills when it comes to job skills or our sporting skills. It's how we learn to do relationships. And watching and imitating is how we learn to live the Christian life. Now in the passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
Paul does what you might think is a strange thing. He actually tells the church what they already know. What happened when he and Timothy and Silas first met them. Now, I don't need to remind Kathy about the first time I met her because, you know, she was there as well. But this is what Paul's doing. He's reminding them of what they already know. So what's going on here? Well, there's no hint of conflict between Paul and the Christians in Thessalonica. So he's not trying to defend his relationship with them. Now, what Paul is doing is reminding them of what happened because he wants them to imitate himself and Timothy and Silas as they in turn imitate Christ. And he says, remember who we were when we came to you. You watched us, you imitated us, keep doing so. Now, the story of their first meeting is found in Acts chapter 17. And just a a really quick recap. Paul and Silas had been flogged and they had been put in prison in Philippi. So they left there and they came to Thessalonica. As was their custom, Paul went into the synagogue and he preached and declared that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now, some of the Jews in the synagogue believed, as did a number of the God-fearing Greeks, as well as some prominent women in the city. But again, Paul and Silas faced opposition and were accused of causing trouble by defying Caesar. And they did this because they were saying that there was another king called Jesus. So after just a matter of weeks, Paul and Silas had to leave Thessalonica and they had to leave this young church. Now this new church had no New Testament to read. They had no contact with Paul or Silas or other Christian support. Uh, There was no alpha course for them to do to figure out what the Christian uh, gospel was all about. And so Paul sends Timothy back to strengthen their faith and to encourage them in the face of the persecution they were experiencing. And when Timothy then comes back to Paul, he brings good news that the young church had not folded. In fact, the young church was going well. And so this is why Paul starts by telling them what they know. And this is from verse 1 in chapter 2. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. And then in verse 13 he says, And we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul then goes on and he recounts what happened during their time that he spent with them. He tells them what they already know, not to defend themselves, but as a call for them to remember, to remember who Paul and Timothy and Silas were, not just the message they preached, but who they were as men seeking to imitate Jesus Christ. So firstly, he says, this is who we were. We were men who came to you with great courage. In verse 2, he says, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul is saying, We weren't put off by our opposition. We would not give up our faith out of fear of being persecuted. Being flogged and put in prison would not stop us from declaring that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the true King. We came to you with courage. And implied in this from Paul is that they, as Christians in Thessalonica, will also need to live with courage. And this is made explicit in verse 14, where Paul says, For you, brothers and sisters, 
became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. This is such an encouragement to this young church. What Paul is saying is you identify with all of us. All the churches in Judea are going through the same persecution and trials and hardship you have. We are bound together in our common experience in Christ of suffering and being persecuted. And he commends them for standing firm in that, in their courage. In showing courage, they are imitating Jesus Christ himself. Now when we read the Gospels, uh, we are struck by the courage of Jesus Christ, the courage to confront false religious narratives, the courage to confront the social and the racial and the gender divisions that were, were within that context, the courage to associate with sinners, but above all, the courage to go to the cross and to take upon himself our sin. Jesus was a man of courage and his disciples imitated him in this. Courage comes when our convictions are stronger than our fears. Courage comes when we know what our priorities are, when we have this clear sense of what matters most. You see, Jesus knew what he had come to do. Paul knew what he was called to do. Peter and John and the other disciples could never have been called snowflakes. They had deep convictions that were stronger than their fears. There's a well-known passage at the end of Romans chapter 8 and Paul writes these words and this just speaks about the strength of his convictions. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we live with courage, we imitate Jesus Christ. Now, very few of us will endure persecution for our faith. But we may face ridicule. We may face rejection. We may face fear when sharing our faith. And certainly we will face hardship and suffering in this life. So when such things come, what will our response be? To give up or to have the courage to persevere in our faith? At this point, I'd just like us to pause and just to reflect for a minute or so. Is there an area in your life where you need to imitate the courage that Jesus and the disciples showed? Paul then moves on to his second reflection of what happened. When we came to you, we also lived among you with integrity. This is in chapter 2, verses 3 to 7. Paul says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, 
Even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority, instead we were like young children among you. What Paul is saying is that their motives were pure. They were not driven by power or by greed or by favour, but simply by a desire to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. They, they took a position of being like young children. There's a sense of being humble and lowly and gentle towards them. Back then as is now, there were plenty of people trying to sell a message for their own gain. But Paul says that's not us. We are not selling a message, but we are sharing the free gift of good news, of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Again, they were imitating Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, a blameless life. He was within, without sin. He could never have been accused of having impure motives in declaring the kingdom of God. Paul and the disciples understood that the gospel of Jesus Christ needed to come with integrity, and it still does. The message of Jesus Christ is diminished when the messengers fail to have integrity, when they fail to align what they preach with what they do. See, the gospel does not sound like good news when it's misused for financial gain. The gospel does not sound like good news when it's misused for political grandstanding. And the gospel does not sound like good news when it's misused to manipulate or to control. And thirdly, in this passage, Paul says that when we came to you, remember how we loved you. In some verses 7 on, he says, Just like a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. It's just beautiful relational language, isn't it? He, he picks up the image of a mother caring, a father encouraging. We shared our lives with you. We worked so as not to be a burden to you. We comforted you. And again, by loving them, Paul and Timothy and Silas were imitating the self-giving love of Jesus Christ. In both his life and in his death, the love of God for all people is seen in Jesus Christ. And throughout the New Testament letters is this constant call for us to love, to love one another, to show love to all people. In fact, if we don't love, it reveals that we have failed to understand not only the very essence of God, but the very truth of the gospel. Remember who you were when we came to you, says Paul. We came with courage, we lived among you with integrity, and we loved you dearly. Do likewise. Again, at this point, I'd just like you to pause and to reflect. Is there an area in your life where you need to live with a greater integrity or with a greater love? I just want to wrap up with three very quick but very important practical things. Now, 
they are self-evident, but if Paul can ask people to remember things they already know, then I feel like I have some freedom to do so also. First is this, above all, learn from Jesus. Learn to live and to love like him. Read the Gospels. I got some great advice from a guy who influenced me many years back, and he just said, whatever else you read, read the Gospels every year. Read all four Gospels every year, and I've sought to do that. Because more than anyone else that I've ever met, I am inspired to and desire to be like Jesus. Now, we get to choose who we imitate. Some people choose to imitate celebrities. Some people choose to imitate sporting heroes. Uh, Some people even choose to imitate ministry superstars. But above all, above all, imitate and learn from Jesus. My second point is this. Know that the Holy Spirit desires to make you like Jesus. So walk in step with him. Becoming like Jesus and imitating him is not about trying harder. Becoming like Jesus is about learning to cooperate with what God is already wanting to do in your life by his Holy Spirit. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And lastly this, walk with other Christians who are seeking to imitate Christ. Just because we can't have large gatherings at the moment does not mean that we cannot continue to do life with one another. We just need to find ways and the time to do this. I love the biblical image of iron sharpening iron, of two lives that sharpen one another spiritually. But I also like the idea that two lives take off some of the rough edges that we don't see in ourselves. And so walk with other Christians who seek to imitate Jesus. Read scripture together, worship together, pray together, encourage and strengthen one another. Be accountable to one another. Learn what it means to imitate Jesus together. Because when we imitate Jesus, we begin to do life as God intended. Bless you.